This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down to life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back. Under the Dome with CD. Well, I say back, back after a week off. We're back live and in living color seven days later. We got a lot of things to get to. And welcome to Under the Dome with CD. As you heard, two hours of nonstop sports talk. A lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time. We got the time, and I'm absolutely just loving being here. Hearing that new intro again, it is still so damn good. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. You're damn right we looking good. We feeling good. And appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through the free 103.7 Game mobile app. Those smart speakers that you can just get, get the... Alexa skill for free, or better yet, if you have a Google Home, Google Assistant, you can hit us up over there, the .com, the mobile app, all kinds of different ways, including that fantastic FM dial, the Tower of Power. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Ooh, yeah, Uh uh-huh. And I'm absolutely loving being here with you. On a Saturday morning, we've got a lot to get to. Mentioned earlier, we're going to talk some high school football. We're going to talk college. We're going to talk pros over the course of the next two hours. But I think we all need to kind of take a minute, just kind of let ourselves breathe for, for a quick second and get into what's causing all this on Louisiana Saturday morning and get into what happened last night across the landscape of high school football in the Acadiana area because, boy, oh, boy, there was a lot to kind of get to and a lot to take away from this past, like, several days in the world of high school football, especially in the Acadiana area. Definitely a lot of big-time thoughts. And we're going to get to it right now with we do each and every Saturday in a quick look around the world of high school football in Acadiana with your scoreboard. Oh, and it definitely was some tough physical ball games, tough sledding for the Acadiana High and Reckon Rams. They got shut out, which doesn't happen all too often. I know the Acadiana area was absolutely thinking that Acadiana High was going to get the win, but it was not to be. And the Acadiana High Reckon Rams lost 20 to nothing. I was kind of surprised to see that one kind of pop up on the scoreboard. On Friday, some other games that happened Thursday night. You had Vermilion Catholic take care of business against Opelousas, 21-6. Iota, St. Louis, this was a hotly contested Thursday night matchup. The fireworks were everywhere. Iota wins 32-30. to 30. 
Lafayette Christian Academy, the LCA Knights, they looked good. And I think you definitely give a lot of credit to these guys in this program. This team continues to reload. And, of course, we're talking about the LCA Knights. They beat Lafayette High 47-27. I was definitely surprised by that final score. Again, Acadian, excuse me, Lafayette High has been a team that's been on the rise the last couple of seasons, and they were able to get to the postseason last year and win their first postseason game since 2006. Let's see if they can continue to progress and make the right moves because they are a team to be like you got to watch out for. Barb, meanwhile, lost a tough one, 49 to 40. Turlings beats Como 36 to 15. St. Martinville they beat out. St. Martinville beats out New Iberia 27-16. Sam Houston beats LaGrange 42-13. Carecrow, they beat Southside 45-21. Eunice beats Jennings 33-18. Lorville takes down North Vermillion in a hotly contested one, 27-20. Cecilia, they beat Rain in dominant fashion 41-7. Not a great start for the Wolves. Washington Marion. Defeats Northside 21-14. Definitely a fun ball game right there. Alexandria, they take down STM and made it, relatively speaking, look easy with a 59-35 win. The Cougars' defense hasn't necessarily looked great this season, at least from my perspective. To be completely off base there. Then we have Turlings. Again, maybe Como. Westgate beats St. Mary 55-20. Beauchene beats Port Berry. This was the St. Landry Parish game of the week. Beauchene beats Port Berry 38-12. Cecilia, excuse me, I already mentioned that. Livonia loses to Estrema 55-20. Opelousas beats Bozier 20-19. Yet Iota beat St. Louis Catholic 32-30. Grant takes down Mamu 36-20. Crowley, they eke out an overtime victory over Northwest. I was hearing that was a wild game, all because one team decided to go for two. That wound up largely costing the contest. Pine Prairie Thursday night beat Elton 62-26. Jeez Louise. Some, like, blowouts here in week two. Abbeville, they're 2-0 for the first time in a long time. They beat Central Catholic 18-12. Erath, Beats De Quincey 28-21. Church Point, they beat Kaplan 32-8. St. Martinville beats New Iberia 27-16. Lafayette Christian Academy, mentioned them earlier, 47-27 victors over the Mighty Lions. Grand Lake beats Lake Arthur 26-15. Notre Dame, they get a forfeit win over Sulphur. I'll give you some rundowns on the COVID forfeits because there was a lot of those visits by Uncle COVID over the last few days involving Acadian area teams. So I'll give you that, that rundown in a minute. Then you have Welsh beats Vinton 34-20. Ascension Episcopal beats Catholic High Point Capee 55-22. Close to a shoot. I think if you saw Ascension Episcopal, excuse me, Catholic High Point Capee rack up a few more points, it would have been a lot more of a shootout. Hanson Memorial beats out Delcom 32-27. Patterson, Franklin, low-scoring defensive contest, but Patterson is the better. 19-12 W. 
Morgan City beats Jenner at 12 to 6. You had Westgate beat West St. Mary 55 to 20. Vermilion Catholic beats Opelousas Catholic 21 to 6. Sacred Ville Platte making it look easy against Marksville 35 to 7. St. Edmund beats Basile 35-21. Westminster Christian, North Lake Christian, Westminster Christian handles their business 34-7. Centerville, they get a win over Ascension Christian 20-12. Hanson Memorial beats Delcom 32-27. Hamilton Christian, Highland Baptist, and Hamilton Christian gets a 45-21 win. And then finally, mentioned a moment ago, Vermilion Catholic, they get a win over Opelousas Catholic 21 21- to six just insane to see the amount of talent from the acadiana area getting dubs but there was also just some big overarching takeaways that i had over the course of the last like few hours just running through the scoreboard again when i was kind of prepping out the show and finishing up some things i think there's about like four or five takeaways from the acadiana area at large and the first one i think is all about STM. Is it cause for concern? This team is 0-2 to start the season. And I've been doing like the football night in Acadiana postgame shows, been running the board for STM, doing a lot of different things here on Acadiana Sports Station involving high school football. And I can't think of the last time STM started the season 0-2. And again, this is a team that is back-to-back state champs in the last like four or five years. They've been a consistent making it to the state championship game. They've been consistent on that front more than anything. So you have that happen. I was surprised seeing them lose, especially the way they lost. It's not like, oh, you're losing to a team. It's a team that's probably a little bit better and outsized you. But at the same time as more, you always think they're going to be a contender and they're going to take care of business against anybody that they face off against. You saw an STM team last year. They looked dominant with Walker Howard. And you saw Jack Besh and all these guys. They had like phenomenal players that have gone on to play at LSU. I know they got one player on the Cajuns basketball roster. There is some great talent on that STM roster. I just think they need to kind of pump the brakes for a minute, especially after a 59-35 loss. That defense lost a lot of depth, and I feel like that's a concern. That said, the Trojans, they're no slouches. I just had no idea that I expected that. I didn't expect to see. And I'm going to say it's a sizable upset on paper. I think Alexandria, from what I was hearing on commentary, they were very much a almost junior college-esque team. But give credit to Alexandria and also give credit to the Cougars because they scheduled a tough non-district, no doubt in my mind. It'll be interesting to see how it goes when they get back home this Friday when they take on Plaquemine. Can the Cougars kind of keep that Can they turn this momentum around and not be 0-3 as district fast approaches? Meanwhile, Katie and a high, they got shut out. Big surprise there. Brutal week two contest against Division One Power, Catholic High of Baton Rouge. I got taken down 20 to nothing. Not often you see the Wrecking Rams get handled the way they did, but again, understandable. Katie and a high, still a top contender in 5A, but the week one contest was a tough break 
for a program that was looking to three-peat under Matt McCullough. Then you look at LCA. This team, week one, they got to win. But I think week two, they proved, hey, we're continuing to reload. We're not like Alabama football. We don't lose players. We reload every single year. LCA had a lot of talent. They lost last season to LSU and a lot of other programs across the state and beyond a certain extent. The train keeps rolling. 47-27 win over Lafayette High. The Knights just looked dominant. Trefalk back at head coach, and they were firing off on all cylinders last night. And I think maybe we can start talking about a fifth straight state title in the offing before this program. I got to think yes. I think it's definitely a distinct possibility. Church point. They dominated Kaplan. It was a fast and furious contest over on 106.3 Radio Lafayette. And Church Point, just every time I turned around, it was a score. It was just another one, another one, another one. And I love that kind of stuff. That's what makes sports a little bit more entertaining when you're just watching these scores just get racked up. And I'm all the way here for it, to be honest with you. So that was about kind of some general observations about what I saw from the Acadian area teams, especially some of the ones that we cover here. STM, you hear right here on 103.7 The Game. The Vermilion Parish Game of the Week, St. Landry Parish Game of the Week, Southside, Karen Crow. We got you covered all kinds of different ways. I didn't even bring up Opelousa's Catholic. And if you make your way out to Lake Charles sometime, you can listen to the Bar Buccaneers on 104.1 FM. That's going to be News Talk 104.1. And one more thing before we get out of here, because it's under the dome with CD, and I've got a lot of things to get to. I'm going to go ahead and mention this right now, because I probably won't get to it the rest of the way, because there's so much more in the world of sports I want to get to, but I'll go ahead and mention it now. Shout out to Texas. Because the Longhorns showed me a whole hell of a lot on Saturday when they took on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They are going to be a really good team. and It's it's impressive to see, especially with somebody like Hudson Card, a redshirt freshman, and he looked like a seasoned veteran in one game. He looked like he was just taking it real easy. There was no pressure on him. The the offensive line was able to kind of keep him upright for most of the ball game. Every time he had the ball and it was a pass play, the release he had was even more impressive. I think for the most part, he was right around under three at the most four seconds, but he was like right under, like I think I saw like a one play out actually timed out, and his release was about 2.9. That is really good. For the time you get the ball, to the time you throw it, about three seconds. It's very Drew Brees-esque, the way it was dink and dunk. But at the end of the day, if you're able to get somebody, and, you know, again, you had B. John Robinson, and he was absolutely phenomenal in the running back slot, but having a great quarterback puts this team on another level, and it makes me wonder, because, again, Hudson Card's a freshman. He stays healthy. In the next three years, right before Texas makes the move, presumably, to the SEC. I know they're set to make the move, I think, in 2025. But who's to say, especially now that we got some expansion talk going on and teams being introduced into the Big 12, I think Big 12 is fully expecting Oklahoma and Texas to not quite, you know, Baltimore Colts it over to the SEC, but they probably won't be too far off from that perspective. So SEC, get ready for a sleeping giant with Steve Sarkeesian. If they can build off this momentum off of the season opening win over a really good on-paper Cajuns team that everybody coming back, especially on the defensive side of the football, 
Hudson Card and crew, the Steve Sarkeesian era, started off with a really solid win that, in my mind, made a statement. Now they're a top 15 ranked team, and deservedly so. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to get to that other team in the state of Louisiana that we all talk about here, and LSU. While the Cajuns losing to Texas, it maybe have been kind of expected. LSU losing wasn't, and we'll talk about that in the future of Ed Ogeron. Next, and we'll have Emily Van Buskirk. She'll be joining the show talking ACC. They lost a lot of star power. And who could very well fill that void? We'll talk about that next. So get ready for that and so much more on Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear. With Under the Dome, with the world-famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday. However you're doing so, I know obviously it's game day. And I know a lot of people probably are out on the roads right now getting ready to go to LSU, the Cajuns' home opener against Nickel State. By the way, Cajuns fans, I got some good news for you. If you haven't heard it already, if you haven't kind of looked at things over the last few days, there's a good thing at Cajuns Field this season. Free parking. You heard me right. Free parking. At K- uh, outside Cajun Field, like just across the street. So go ahead and take advantage of that if you can. Free parking at Cajun Field all season long. As somebody who won't be in the press box anymore, I am absolutely loving this idea. I'm, I'm loving this because I might, might very well make my way over to a few Cajuns games this year. A few more definitely now that I won't have to pay to get in and pay to park. Again, that's just the way I see things. Meanwhile, LSU, they're getting ready for their big game against McNeese. They're currently, I think, like 30-something point favorites. I'd probably put the money on McNeese to cover that spread, in all honesty. That's just me. I'm not going to put that in my fave five bets, but I think it's fairly close in my mind. That said, let's get to the CEO of LSU, and that is Coach Ed Ogeron. And what's causing all this? What's causing my frustration and probably a lot of your frustrations with your Saturday sports sermon? The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. I said this last year and a good bit during the summer. And I, I, I dare you to go look back at the archives and say, and hear me say, Ed Ogeron, I think he has further proved something I've said last season and during the summer, is that Ed Ogeron, to a certain extent, right now looks like Gene Chizik. But now, after what I saw against UCLA after a 5-5 five and five season last year, Ed Ogeron is the Bayou Gene Chizik. Seriously, 
Look at the history books. Gene Chizik gets Cam Newton from Florida after Newton gets booted from Florida after some controversy. Let's go ahead and put it that way after a incident with a laptop. He gets out. And they win a national title. Joe Burrow transfers out of Ohio State and is that rare unicorn that's able to play two years and wins only the second Heisman Trophy in program history and leads LSU to a magical 2019 season where they're undefeated and win a national championship. Seriously. That's scary, the comparisons that they have, to a certain extent, with good old Gene Chizik. The excuses of this, of this team losing everybody on the program is long gone. You have a lot of experience with this year's team, and they have to prove their worth in a big way over the next few weeks heading into that game against Mississippi State that I think to a certain extent could determine Ed O'Dron's future in my mind. This is, without a doubt, one of those disappointing losses LSU's ever had. Going back to 2016 against Wisconsin, that was a game where I think Les Miles' goose was already kind of being cooked if it wasn't already before the season even started over across the basin. The excuses are long gone. And what I saw from LSU last weekend proves to me that there's a problem. There's a big problem with the culture at LSU. Some players, aren't. I think Glenn Logan said it earlier this week, that players are out of shape. When you have a player, a player who's told largely by his coaches, his players, and people around him to say the right things. He's telling it like it is. He's doing the right thing and telling us like it is. Players out of shape. Some players are academically ineligible. The school semester just started. How is that possible? How? May I ask you how? How do you become academically ineligible when the semester just freaking started? I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. But then you've got Ed Ogeron out here making an ass out of himself, talking trash to the fans, which was funny. Don't get me wrong. But it backfired in a major way. Talking trash to fans outside. The Rose Bowl talking about bringing your ass on with that sissy blue shirt. Those players in those sissy blue shirts dominated you in the trenches. We're talking Pac-12 football here. We make jokes about the Big 12 being defense optional. I think the defense is getting better in the Big 12, at least from what I've been kind of seeing. That said, this conference was absolutely abhorrent in defense for years. UCLA scouted them and knew what they were doing, and they dominated them on the defensive side of the football. The run game, that was non-existent. Max Johnson put up numbers. But at the end of the day, he didn't put up the most important numbers. That's points on the board, Jack. The offense didn't do didn't put up enough points on the board against UCLA. The defense underwound and DTR was out there looking more like the airport out in Baton Rouge BTR and was taking flight all over that group. And it's no longer who is Mike Jones. It's where is Mike Jones. Apparently he's going to be playing tonight in the glorified scrimmage against McNeese. Sorry, not sorry, McNeese fans. But the much-hyped Clemson transfer not playing the opener was a little concerning to me. Mike Jones has to show up in, in these rest of the season's games because I'm very concerned about what the future holds for that program with Ed Ogeron. And the Heat is 
on Ed Ogeron is much deserved. And I think we're starting to near that point where we can start pouring the dirt on the career that is Ed Ogeron. Not just at LSU, but in terms of him being a college coach. The only thing that I can think can save O is pretty much going 11-1 and and beating Alabama. Because if you don't beat Alabama, it's somewhat understandable, but beating Alabama could cure all the ills. Even if, I think outside of going 1-11 and and that one win being Alabama, you probably are still going to get fired. But I mentioned at the beginning of the year that I thought 10-2, and 11-1 was on the table. 8-4 and four was the floor. I think the bottom starting to drop out on that floor. And it may be on coach's death row. And no amount of time at the college football Betty Ford Clinic that is Nick Saban's coaching staff at Alabama will fix his reputation as the Bayou version of Gene Chizik. Ed Ogeron is the new Larry Coker, is the new Gene Chizik from what I've seen. And I've been saying it. It's amazing to think how much you can stumble into a job and have somebody help you with a binder. I would love to see the contents of of this binder one day. It should be in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame because somehow, someway, this is the ultimate con job by a Baton Rouge radio host was able to get Ed Ogeron on the job. They've got Ed Ogeron out there making an ass out of himself. He's out there taking pictures with numerous women. And, you know, obviously, do what you want to do, but, bro, keep that stuff on the DL. You're out there in California where you know the paparazzi is out there in full effect. You've been coaching. You coach at USC and you don't know what's going on. Like you made yourself look like a complete bleeping Melvin out there walking around with, with your lady friend. You know, it makes you look like you don't care. You hear it all the time. It's something I've heard a lot. I've never played football, but you hear the old story. It's it maybe an old wives' tale, but it's perfectly apropos here, I think. You hear about the saying, don't score the night before the big game. I think Ed Ogeron has been out here in a little bit of a midlife crisis. And I think he's got to get that in check because those checks might be stopping very, very soon over at LSU. That's just, again, this is just my humble opinion on that front. And I'll throw this hot take out there. And you can call up 337-706-0111 after I have my guest on in a few minutes. And as Emily Van Buskirk will have her on talk about the AAC expansion. But my hot take is this. If Ed Ogeron is indeed fired at the end of this year, there's one name that I can say is getting called, and I would not be surprised if he says yes. Billy Napier. I just have an inkling that would happen. I've been wrong a ton, and I mean a metric ton. But I think this could be a distinct possibility. He's built some inroads towards the fan bases that have been divided and shook some of the right hands. I think that's a name that's at the top of the list of Scott Woodward and crew and some of those boosters that give money to LSU. Again, and don't give me crap about him coaching a smaller program. you got a guy that coached the SEC and the Pac-12 
and hasn't done anything in the last two years. You're five and six since winning a national championship. Ed Ogeron, before he took over the coaching job, was out of coaching. Don't forget that. He was out of coaching and stumbled into a spot, again, thanks to a Baton Rouge radio host helping him put together a binder. And he got a job at LSU. That binder clearly just had a three-year plan. It's not like when you watch a movie. There's a reason why the bad guy never wins. There's a reason why the bad guy never really wins. Because once he wins, what else is he going to do? Like, it's it's insane. It's mind-boggling to me that that's actually something that happened. A three-year plan got a guy a head coaching job and, dare I say, hasn't done anything since that three years, since getting that once-in-a-lifetime Joe Burrow. Another Joe Burrow ain't walking through that door. I think Ed Ogeron, his goose is cooked. And if you fall below that 8-4 and four mark for a second straight year, he gone. He gone. And I think Napier is that next guy. It's a hot take. I don't I don't know if he's going to be interested in taking the LSU job. But if there's any job that could get him to Bama down the road, it's that one. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll get to our next guest, Emily Van Buskirk. We'll talk about what's going on in the AAC and so much more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but under the dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. And there's been a lot of big headlines involving the American Athletic Conference over the last 24 hours or so. And obviously it involves three programs, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF leaving to go over to the Big 12. The Big 12 officially invited them, and they'll be coming over a little bit further down the road. But we'll get the perspective from somebody who looks at the ACC, AAC, excuse me, not the ACC, with somebody that I got in touch with earlier this week, and that is Emily Van Buskirk. She does some stuff for the Underdog Dynasties podcast, which is P-A-U-D-C-A-S-T. I like that. Also hosts the Sideline podcast, and that is Emily Van Buskirk. Emily, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm absolutely just, I love having people on with a little different perspectives of things. I know you're out, you're out there at the Ohio State-Oregon contest in Columbus. What's the vibe right now? Then we'll get to the AAC talk. What's the vibe out there like? Oh, my God, it's electric. I mean, this is the first game day that Ohio State has had in two years with fans on campus. So we got up early this morning to try and beat the traffic. We did not succeed in that mission because people were out here at 8 a.m., you know, tailgating, getting ready. So the streets of Columbus around the stadium are shut down. Everybody's out in full force. There's a lot of Ducks fans um, in attendance, so that's been fun. And I just walked under the Ohio State band, and they're ready to go. I was in the elevator a minute ago with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, and they were giving two members of the Ohio State marching band some grief 
asking them, hey, do you think you could play better than Texas A&M's band? Who's the best band? And they, the, the band members didn't really say anything, but it was definitely a fun interaction to see. So I'm excited for the team to get on the field and, and see a good matchup here. Oh, no, it absolutely sounds like it's just a ton of fun right now. But let's get into the brass tacks of why I had you on. Obviously, we see the American Athletic Conference. They lose Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF all in one fell swoop. What was your reaction? We started to hear these reports kind of trickle in. I think it was like Friday night, early Saturday morning, this stuff started to pop up. Yeah, I think as early as Thursday. You know what's so funny is this is my first year with the Americans. I don't want to take credit for jinxing it and, you know, ruining the conference the first year I came in, but I, it's been known to happen. I jinx kickers, why not conferences, you know? So it's been crazy to watch, not knowing as much about the history. I've been learning very quick on the fly everything that's going on. And fan bases, you know, if the team's left behind are considerably, they're upset, understandably, uh, wondering what's going to happen. But honestly, all this conference realignment stuff, in my opinion, it's, it's necessary, obviously, to keep up with the athletic infrastructure of sports across the country. But ultimately, I was told by an SEC coach that it's not going to matter because it's just going to be the Power Five and then everybody else eventually. So while these teams are jockeying for good position when that inevitably happens, I think what the focus should be is what, what the coach is talking about this season, doing well coming out of COVID and building on you know better programs for the future. So. It'll be interesting to see what the AAC does, who they try and pick up. If I were them, I would take somebody like a Marshall, um, maybe a Mountain West team, and, and then go from there. And, you know, Emily, when you look at the perspective of how it is with the Big 12, it, and just my perspective, we talk about the Power 5 and how it's going to be Power 5 everybody else. I think there's a conversation that needs to be had to a certain extent. The way they did this, it wasn't necessarily what I expected, where it'd be more of a geographic thing. Now you've got to potential situation where BYU is going to have to travel all the way to Morgantown, West Virginia, potentially once this thing kind of comes into place and vice versa, or a UCF having to travel all the way to Mormon country. You're going to have to try and figure out how that, it, I, I'm just more surprised about the fact that it's happening with the geographical perspective where you have a team like Cincinnati, West Virginia, and it's, it, it boggles the mind that we're seeing all this go down. Were you surprised to see it be more, of a get the biggest names possible to fill your spot rather than geographic? I mean, there's just so many factors that go into it. You look at the Nielsen, the, the media market for each of the teams and how they do, what their fan bases are like spread out across the country. I think Cincinnati has some deep roots and their recent success has made them very, very, you know, um, enviable of other conferences and very attractive for the Big 12. And then UCF, you know, with Dash on, it's, it's no surprise to me that Gus Malzahn is there and this is happening. He seems to know something before we all do. He's, he's so smart like that, fly. So th that timing to me made a lot of sense. And it makes sense for the Big 12 to put a flag down in Florida. You know, that's a huge, huge market for recruiting. Now they've got, you know, their, their stakes there and they can come out and, and get recruits from that state. So the UCS doesn't surprise me at all. They've got some swagger and the Big 12 needs a little swagger right now, especially with what's exiting. So, I'm not surprised by those teams. The BYU, you know, good, good for them. They need some adversity. They need to go to different places and see what it's like to play real teams. I'm not a huge BYU fan, so I like to see that they have to, to travel and, and face some different, some different faces and some different teams and some better competition because then we'll truly see what they're made of. So I'm not surprised, but I am excited. 
Talking around now, Emily Van Buskirk, part of the Underdog Dynasty on SB Nation, the Underdog Podcast, which is P-A-U-D-C-A-S-T, which, by the way, I love the fact that that's what it's called, the Underdog Podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce it right. Then, obviously, you host the Sideline SAS Podcast as well. But looking at the way things are now with the AAC, when those programs do indeed leave, I think the conversation is now going to shift to, who takes their place? You brought in a program like Marshall. Who else? Who do you really think is going to fit what the AAC wants to do? And could you see a team like over here in the heart of Cajun country, we had the Louisiana Raging Cajun, the team that was recently ranked before losing to Texas this past Saturday. I think they'd probably be one of those candidates to get that big call up. I would absolutely see a team. And Louisiana is such a fun team to watch. I only got into it a little bit recently, but – it's been a blast to watch what Billy Napier has done with that program and, and see all of, all of the success they've had, especially on the stage last year with the COVID shutdowns. They really got to shine and show, you know, what they're made of. So I think a program like that, small, gritty, but, like, very tough and, and, and very determined to fight would be a good fit for the AAC. Unfortunately, they're going to be looking probably for, you know, you've got to fill shoes for those big markets. So that's why they're probably going to look at UAB. That's what everybody's talking about. I don't love that. Marshall's a better fit, even though they haven't done as well recently. Um, this is going to be a big year for Huff, you know, taking over the program, changing it from the, the old guard to the new. And, and I would keep my eye on Marshall. And they have such deep roots across the country and such a historical program that why would you not add a team like that? Um, and then you look at Mountain West teams because that's also, you know, a conference that's growing. You've got San Diego State, who's been good occasionally. Boise State's a big draw for people, very rabid fan base. I even like San Jose State, to be honest. I covered them earlier in the year, and, and Brent Brennan has got things turning around there. I thought they were going to upset USC possibly last weekend, but they didn't quite make it. But I think there's a lot of magic in the mountain. So I think the AAC might look to stake some, some stuff in California on the West Coast. Emily, before I let you go, I saw something you posted on social media the other day <laughs> about Clint Eastwood playing the six hole on his <laughs> golf course. How cool was that seeing him out there still doing his thing at 91 years old, an absolute, like, American icon? It's incredible. I live in Pebble Beach, and I play golf, you know, occasionally as much as I can. And I was invited up to the Clint, which is his annual tournament that he has every year. It's usually on his birthday in May or March, but this year with COVID stuff, they moved it. And, you know, he, I saw him watch him play a couple holes. He's 91 years old, but he's still got that stroke. And he drives around just doing whatever he wants. It's his club, Tehama, so um, he makes the rules. It was country western theme. They give away a gold gun to the winner of the tournament. It was it was an incredible, incredible thing. And I actually ran into Jeff Hudford, um, the former coach of Fresno State, and I talked to him about this Oregon game. And Fresno State just played Oregon last week and gave him a hell of a game. But he said he thinks that the Ducks are going to get blown out here today. He said it's not going to even be close, which I couldn't tell if it was part bitter, you know, or, or not. But um, – our coach and I, I might take that to heart a little so yeah if you like golf content definitely follow me on social media because i'm always getting into shenanigans with golfers so all right emily appreciate you coming on we'll talk to you down the road enjoy being out there Any- in in the shoe with them, uh, ohio state oregon anytime thanks guys all right emily van buskirk appreciate her coming on the show absolutely was just looking forward to hearing a little bit of a different perspective from a national side of things involving a group of five or group group of six or power six, as the AAC likes to put it, 
in terms of just to seeing how they see things because I have a different perspective. I think the Cajuns absolutely deserve to be in consideration for the AAC because you look at what they've been able to kind of build as of late. That's kind of where I kind of land. But it looks like we got somebody on the 103.7 The Game hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Clint. Hey, what's up? This is Lance, the guy that won the UCLA trip, bro. It was so awesome. That's awesome. I mean, it, dude, I can't, I can't thank y'all enough, man. Hey, I, I, I appreciate it, man. Even, even in a loss, I'm sure you absolutely loved it, dude. It was uh, my first trip to California. It was freaking awesome. You know, yes, I'd have preferred the win, but hey, only one team gets to win that day. Yep. We didn't make the plays when we had the chances. I thought we played good enough to win at times, but it is what it is, you know. Yeah, that's kind. Of, that's kind of how it goes, man. But appreciate you, appreciate you calling in, Lance. Don't be a stranger, dude. Dude, and to all the people that don't believe they can win these contests, keep not entering. I appreciate it because <laughs> there's a second big one I win. Y'all keep not entering. I'm okay with that. Once again, I appreciate I appreciate that, Lance. And if you want to enter in, we got all kinds of stuff. We just give away the ultimate tailgate giveaway. Make sure you keep it locked. 103.7thegame.com and enter our rewards club. You don't have to pay anything. It's not a paywall. It's not like The Athletic. It's not like a bunch of other newspapers nowadays on their website. It's free. F-R-E-E. That spells free. I'm not going to say the rest because I might get sued. But it's free. So get in on the action today in the 103.7 The Game Clubhouse at 103.7thegame.com. And you can be like our guy Lance and come away with a fantastic prize. Like go and see LSU and UCLA. He enjoyed the trip of a lifetime. You could be next. By the way, that wasn't set up at all. Going to take a quick time out, give you my picks to click for week two of college football and week one of the NFL with my fave five games to put some money on. And hopefully I'm better than I was last week. We'll talk about that in a little bit next right here on 103.7 The Game. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. The preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I give it a uh, a ten, a ten. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station 103.7 The Game. Welcome back under the dome with CD, wrapping it up our one in style right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7 The Game.com. Quick recap last week. If you took my advice, I feel sorry for you a little bit because. Things did not necessarily go all that well. 0 for 5. I got a little cute with some of the week one lines, but I've got a feeling we're going to bounce back. We're going to get better. Not as, I don't think 500, but I think if I can get at least one right this week, I think I'll be a little bit happier. But I've got some thoughts on this week's lineup of games. We'll start off TCU Cal. I'm going over on this. The over-under is currently the consensus. 46 and a half heading into kickoff. 46 and a half. I'll go the over on TCU taking on the Cal Bears. Iowa State, get me straight up. The Clones getting the win. That's a four-point spread. Iowa State are currently the favorites. I, I was leaning towards Iowa covering on four and a half, but four, it's cutting it. It's a little too close, and I'm starting to lean more towards the Clones getting the win straight up. Feels a little easier. This is my Hammer Don special. Texas. 
minus seven versus Arkansas. Hammered down that spread. Texas gets it done, and they win big, I think, in my mind. They proved a lot to me in week one. I think they continue building it in week two. Two NFL games wrap up the hour. Kansas City, Cleveland Browns opening up the year. I think Kansas City wins, but it's more important about the over-under. 54.5, the majority, the consensus is leaning towards Kansas City, Cleveland going under 54.5. I'm saying it goes over. Yet two electric offenses squaring off, I think this goes over 54.5. This isn't week one of the preseason, folks. Give me an over on that one. Then we go to the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Buffalo Bills. I think the Steelers cover the six and a half point spread. It's going to be a very fun ball game. And I think the Steelers give Buffalo a little bit of run for their money. That's kind of the way I see things. And if you take those, hopefully it's a lot better than last week. And we rally and we can get your bank account. Yeah, that's right. You know that's right. Want to get you some money with some free picks to click right here on 103.7 The Game and Under the Dome with CD, our one in the books. We're going to continue the conversation about the NFL in our number two because we got a lot to talk about with those New Orleans Saints. Going to have Ross Jackson on at, tw- at 11.30, almost at 12.30. We're going to a three-hour show. We're two hours, two sweet hours of sports talk. And we'll be back with more after this on 103.7 The Game. This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down to life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Oh, yeah! Better get ready. Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with the world famous CD. Damn, it feels good to be on your airwaves. We got a whole another hour to get to. More NFL-centric in hour number two of two sweet hours. And we got a lot to get to from that perspective. But obviously, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Here, this, worldwide. And we're also, you know, on however you listen to us. we got about 50, 11 ways to listen to us, including, I'd say, one of my favorite ways is to listen to us on the free mobile app. Your Amazon smart speakers, your Echoes, your Echo Dot show. Google Home, Google Assistant, you can listen to us that way. More importantly, you can check us out on the .com as well. And also, on that FM dial, the tower of power that is 103.7 The Game. He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And it's glad. it's great to be here with you. And we've got a lot of things over the course of the next hour to kind of hit on. I think more importantly, we need to kind of start talking about those New Orleans Saints. If you want to get in on the conversation about anything that we talked about over the course of the show or whatever you want to get into, 337-706-0111. I'm seeing behind me, Ohio State is about to get started. This, this is what I love about like being here on a Saturday morning at 11 a.m. 
Back when I was doing Under the Dome last season, I was on from 11 to 1. So I was literally right in the thick of like college football. Now I'm on for the first hour or so, and I get to kind of have on the big screen behind me. Get to have the Ohio State game on the telly. I know we just got off the phone with somebody who was actually at the game, and that is good friend Emily Van Buskirk talked to her about the AAC expansion. In my mind, I think the Cajuns definitely deserve to be in that conversation of being in that spot. But going back to the NFL, and the New Orleans Saints have a lot of questions that are going to be answered this Sunday. I think the biggest one is, did Sean Payton make the right decision? But there's a lot of other stuff that the Saints have to kind of think about. It's the fact that it's a new era for the New Orleans Saints. For the first time since 2006, 15 years ago, was when Drew Brees played his first game for the black and gold. Think about that. What's happened in those 15 years? Multiple playoff appearances, a Super Bowl ring, could have had two, but we won't talk about that. It's a little too depressing. But Drew Brees is not going to be the quarterback for the first time in 15 years. How often can you say you've had a run like that if you're an NFL team? 15 years. I think the only other guys that can kind of say that in the recent history is probably, obviously, the New England Patriots are without a doubt one of those teams. He had Brett Favre play for the Packers for years, and he jumped over the Jets and the Vikings, but those are different conversations. It's not often you see somebody be with a team for 15 years. That's what Drew Brees did. And now he's going to be doing analysis for NBC Sports and eventually doing commentary. And he did he looked pretty good, a little too good. Did he go to hair club for men during the offseason? Because I think he needs to give the number to whoever helped him to 103.7 the game. That way he can help us cover up those bald spots. Because to be honest with you, I just need a little bit. Just a little touch on the top, I think we'll be okay. I'll be able to cover that up nicely. That's just, Maybe that's just me. I just like to have fun with that. Because I, I, I was loving the memes that kept popping up where it was basically Drew Brees just spray painted his hair. And I, I don't know how he did it. Like, the guy continually had, like, short, short hair towards the end of his run as an NFL quarterback. And then all of a sudden, he gets, like, a fresh new haircut now that he's, now he's like, fresh hair. I mean, again, I, I we all remember the photos from 2009. He had this, like, shaggy hair after winning the Super Bowl, which looked great. And then, like, he just started to lose more and more. Now he looks like he ha- he's, like, after no longer playing in the NFL – his hair has magically grown back. I don't know how, but it is what it is. Again, I wouldn't mind getting the numbers to that person. But Drew Brees is gone. And that brings me to the question I think we're all going to be wondering. Did Sean Payton make the right decision? And will Sean Payton stick with his decision? I think is the other question that I'm wondering about. Because I've talked about it before. The fact that we've gone from Drew Brees to possibly Taysom Hill being the guy and you've heard my takes on that for months on this program. How much I was not looking forward to it. How much I was dreading the idea of Taysom Hill being the starting quarterback, being the guy. He got a little bit better in the preseason, but I think in terms of week one, this was the right decision to give it to Jameis Winston. 
They've been playing a neutral site in Jacksonville, which is still weird. Even though I was seeing that apparently there's a storm heading there that way too. So it's like you can't avoid these storms if you're the New Orleans Saints and navigate these things. Hell, I saw something today. It was like apparently there's another storm brewing in the Gulf right now. But it looks like it's going to stay further west. Something at least to monitor. But since hurricane season really got in the full swing, I've been keeping tabs on stuff from uh, the National Weather Service out in Lake Charles. And I get the notifications. And apparently there's going to be some a tropical storm, a tropical depression that's going to form Sunday or Monday over the western Gulf of Mexico. But it looks like it's going to be more on the western Gulf Coast including coastal Texas and Louisiana, but it'll be more, I think, towards Texas. More towards, like, near, like, I'd say Houston, stuff like that, as opposed to Louisiana. At least just the way it looks according to some of the early tracks. But it's something you're going to have to obviously monitor, and please, we, we don't need it. We just We just don't need it right now. We've had to deal with everything in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida, and I know, I, I over, like... I've overheard there's still some stuff going on in Lake Charles. Even a year after, there's storms back-to-back. It's like, God, can we just get a break for like one minute? But that's a different conversation. Now, it's obviously Jameis Winston's job to lose. If he screws up, I still am in the firm belief that if Jameis Winston screws this up, and looks more like the 30-30 guy versus what we want him to be, it's going to be an uphill climb for one Jameis Winston. And Taysom Hill, the Taysom Hill car could be pulled out very quickly. I'm not saying week one, but if you see him 0-2 and you see that touchdown-interception ratio looking like some dog meat, you got to start thinking about like your future and trying to get this team into playoff contention because I think they have every chance to do so. I think 10 and 7, 11 and 6 is in the offing for this team and that might be just enough. Now it's all about how the NFC West shapes out. Before it's all said and done. Now the other question is, and I saw this pop up, I don't remember where, I think it might have been the four letter network, is that Alvin Kamara is the new face of this franchise. No, wait, it was Rod Walker who posted this. And I think that makes sense saying that Alvin Kamara is the guy right now. And I I couldn't agree more. Because I think that Alvin Kamara is that new guy. He's going to be taking over this franchise. He's the new face. And I think he absolutely has been built as built building up as that. Drew Brees is gone. Now you've got somebody else that's going to I mean you have his face on a freaking cereal, which actually isn't like half bad. I actually got to have my first taste of it yesterday and I had it again this morning before I got here. It was pretty darn good. Not an ad for it, but just saying. It's pretty good. But Alvin Kamara, he is the new face of this franchise. I think there's no doubt about it. He's been built up as that over the last few years. He's basically become like the sec- I think he's become the best for value player the Saints have gotten in the draft ever. Third round draft pick. He's been able to turn himself into the star player on this franchise. Instantaneously, a guy from Tennessee. 
who really didn't see that much playing time in Alabama and then transferred over to Tennessee, and now he's pretty much consistently in the conversation of one of the best offensive players and one of the top fantasy getters in the NFL. Now, what's interesting is he won't be working in the boom and zoom like offense anymore because Latavius Murray got released earlier this week, supposedly due to not wanting to take a pay cut. Yet he take, took a pay cut with another team. Not my business, but apparently that's where we're at. All late, all lightning, no thunder at the running back position. It's very much all zoom, no boom type thing. And that's what you want. If you're the Saints, you want to kind of change the way this offense works. So why not go that direction? Just the way I kind of see things. We're going to get Ross Jackson on the program at about 1130. We'll continue the Saints conversation next. Also some Thursday night football thoughts and what week one matchup I'm most looking forward to. We'll talk about that and more next. You're listening to Under the Dome. If you want to get a call in, 337-706-0111. You're listening to... 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com back after this. The world famous CD has a lot of thoughts about anything from the world of sports to what the right order is at your favorite eating establishment. Don't get me wrong. Extra toast is always a good thing, but extra fries is far superior and doesn't fill you up as much. Get in on the conversation and chat him up at 337-706-0111. Now, back to Under the Dome with CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. This is yet another reminder that life post being like inside the sports radio world for me is going to be like way different. Hearing that that one because usually, and I think I've mentioned this before on the show. I don't go ahead and gonna bring this up real quick. Then we gotta get into some more Saints talk in this segment. But back when I was like covering the Cajuns on a day to day basis, especially after a game day, I, I'm ninety nine percent certain I brought this up before. But back when I watched the would go to the Cajuns games in the press box, I'd usually be leaving this is pre-covid times i'd probably leave around like a game starts at six i'm usually there by two three o'clock and then i'm kind of leaving the press box area to go down for post game around like nine ten o'clock then you're there till probably 10 30 11 and i'd usually nine times out of ten would go down to the raising gains and go get me a no slaw extra fries order. I know no slaw extra toast is the way a lot of people go, but I think extra fries needs to be considered as the far better choice and the choice of a new generation. But that might change now because I'll probably be leaving the game at the same time everybody else does. And let's just say that place gets kind of busy after right after a game. Or maybe I make the extra trek a little bit further down the road and go to that one. But that's a different conversation. I'm, 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 I've been debating it all day. I'm, I might very well go to the game tonight against Nichols. Just to, like, because I haven't been to a college football game 
in person in uh, two years. It's well past time to get back over there. But going back to the New Orleans Saints, right here on Under the Dome with CD. And one thing that I was kind of just noticing, and this is something I want to see them do, and I want to see how these guys perform. But one guy I'm going to wait to see is Bradley Roby. He's suspended for one game. And you traded and got him for next to nothing from the Texans. It's like they are like a fantasy football player. They're working trades before week one. The fantasy football teams, they're out there trying to work that waiver wire trade for player X. Trust me, don't get me wrong. I was working hard on the waiver wire, mind you. It might not be like worth anything because week one, ooh boy. So the guy I'm up against, it's my, our good friend Joe M., noted Penn State fan. He had Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Chris Godwin all on Thursday night, 61 points. I'm still waiting for my first player to even start his contest. But hopefully we can rally. But I had to make some changes in my bench just more. Seeing how these things fit because the guys I had just weren't worth it later rounds. And I want to be able to get, I said, I'm going to get him low key. He's going to be a guy that probably sits on the bench for a while and see what happens with him. But Tony Jones Jr., I think he plays a bigger role. And I'll probably ask Ross Jackson about this in about 10 minutes about what he thinks about that man because he is absolutely going to be an intriguing part of the lineup. At least to me. Then I also wound up like getting rid of one of mine tight ends who just I didn't feel like he was going to do anything. I said, okay, I'm moving on from him. I got Kyle Pitts as a tight end, so I'm I'm pretty good on that. And Eric Ebron out of Pittsburgh got him. Then I also made some moves to get somebody else in terms of running back depth. A Detroit running back. So I was like, okay, I think I'm I think I'm good. My my starting lineup I feel like is a little bit better. And now I think it's obviously going to be dependent on how this team plays. But they're playing against Minnesota, a team that absolutely sucked last year defensively. And if my triplets of Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd pop off, homeboy is going to be very, very happy. Like, if I can get those two to just, those three guys to kill it, the famous CD is going to be one happy son of a gun. Go ahead and leave it at that. But seriously, like, you think about what they've done in the secondary. You added. Desmond Trufant, he's going to be a big help to the depth, especially with the fact that you you still don't know. We're on the eve of the season starting. Now it feels like maybe Roger Goodell isn't going to drop the hammer till we, till maybe he gets actually a sentence for it, the whole Marshawn Lattimore thing. But Marshawn Lattimore, he got, I think it was full practice yesterday, so the expectation is he's going to be playing in week one. So we have that, and then you also have a lot of other kind of storylines to just keep tabs on. Adam Troutman going to be good to go. How are other guys going to perform? Then you also have Ken Crawley. He's on the IR alongside Traquan Smith, who we brought up UCF earlier in terms of the AAC moving to the Big 12. But, man, Traquan Smith, former UCF product, just – has not panned out the way you wanted him to. Probably one of the few, like, I'd say, and 
Traquan, if I'm not mistaken, he was more of like a middle round pick, if I'm not mistaken, in that 2017 draft, that really good draft. I mean, he's had like some highlights, but it's been more helping Drew Brees set records. But he absolutely was a guy that I felt like, yeah, he was a middle round pick in 2018. So I think, you know, this is based off of what we've seen and what we expected from him. The numbers bear out, hey, he really hasn't been that good. The fact you have Michael Thomas out for the first month and you lose him, the expectation is Marquez Callaway is going to get a lot of touches, which if you're a fantasy football player and you have him on your team, you are going to be loving every minute of seeing him on there. But I brought the injury report. Teron Armstead, for once, is actually ready to go. Hopefully he stays healthy over the course of a season because he's been dealing with some injuries for a while. He had a back injury that caused him to... He did not practice on Friday, but he looks to be good to go, according to the participation and practice report that came out on Friday. Another player, James Hurst, currently questionable. So they get a tackle. He should be good to go. And then a another tackle. He's questionable, probably going to be out. If not, maybe a little, like, kind of depth situation. Marshall Lattimore, he's full practice, so more likely than not, he's going to be ready to go. Looking on the other side with the Green Bay Packers, you have Zadarius Smith and Tyler Lancaster, linebacker, defensive lineman, two hits to the defensive front seven. They're listed as questionable. Vernon Scott is out, did not practice at all this week. Mercedes Lewis, he's, re- he's going to be full gear. He didn't practice on Thursday, but that was more veteran rest. Then you have a head injury to Preston Smith. He was full practice on Friday, so more likely than not, based off what I'm seeing, he's going to be ready to go. Adam Troutman is good to go as well. He didn't pop up on this injury report on Friday. So that's, again, there's some good things, but at the same time, you're just kind of you're questioning a lot of stuff. Meanwhile, looking at Oregon, they're against Ohio State right away, and one of their defensive linemen, their edge rusher, he's out. And that is Trevon Maya. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that name right. Oregon cannot catch a break, and they're kind of the only hope when it comes down to it in the Pac-12. I think UCLA, if UCLA continues to do what they did week two, there's a chance where the conversation shifts. Also, I'm just looking at the scores from across the world of sports, and I'm so happy to see this in the return of the one and only Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United. Ronaldo scores not once, but twice. 4-1 win over Newcastle. Damn shame I didn't see a single minute of it. But I'll probably check out a replay in a few days on Peacock. Because, my God, I have been just so excited for the fact that Ronaldo's back on the team. Now Ronaldo's playing. Just give it to me right now. But that's all the Saints stuff that I'm going to get to right now. I'm going to get to more of it with our guy Ross Jackson in a few. But when I get to quickly, you know, the Thursday night football game, the kickoff, and what the hell was going on with Greg Zerline? He's making college kickers wince with some of those misses in week one. That first one he had, it looked like he had spent some time on the golf course last season or during the offseason, and it was just a slice. This thing just, he kicked it, 
and it went so far left, it almost went off camera. That's how bad his first kick was. And it was just like, I feel sorry if somebody had Greg Zerline in your fantasy lineup because you probably were just sitting there like, there's no way. I was almost got conned into it by good friend James Mesh, producer for the afternoons here on 103.7 The Game. And I'll say this, that was something I was like, nah, I'm not getting him, not touching him, not touching kicker from Dallas. Unless your name's Dan Bailey, I'm not touching him. It's just like how I'm like, I'm tentative on Cody Parkey. He probably still has the jinx from Chicago a few years ago after the double doink. But I, it just damaged goods. That said, Dak Prescott looked great in his first game back after the ankle injury. Zeke Elliott, on the other hand, not so much. But Dak, he looked like he could, he was playing like his rookie season. And that's huge. That said, Tom Brady was making Father Time look like an absolute jabroni. That was like, oh, wow, this is where it's at now. Tom Brady, and that was like way more competitive than I thought it was going to be. It felt just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But then all of a sudden, Tampa Bay just said, screw you, we ain't playing no games. And I had the fact that Dallas had so many opportunities but kept being like, you know, Cheddar Bob in 8 Mile and shooting himself in the foot every single time. Like You just saw that team. They were driving. Something happened. They didn't get anything done. Cheddar Bob shooting himself in the foot like an 8 Mile over and over again. I was pulling away by that. I was like, what the hell's going on? And the Bucks able to capitalize. But I'll say this. Tom Brady did make – there were some bad plays. Leonard Fournette fumbling a couple times. I'm like, Leonard Fournette needs to kind of be in that hot hands handing number and try and get some stick and figure out how to hold on to the ball a little bit better. I know you can't use stick but I'm having fun with it. And the fact that he's on the Bucks, nobody's going to care because Golden Boy Tom's on the team. So as long as touchdown Jesus gets another Super Bowl, I'm sure Goodell will look the other way. Before we get out of here and get Ross Jackson aboard the program, I want to kind of go through some, like, the NFL games, first off, I think every NFL game week one is just absolutely like must-watch because, well, it's the NFL. You're going to watch it anyways. But I think there's probably like two or three games that just stand out the most to me. And it's I brought a Pittsburgh-Buffalo. Pittsburgh currently six-and-a-half-point dogs. I take that, that cover. I think they cover that ball game because I think that's a lot more competitive than maybe the guys in Vegas think. Then you also have... Arizona, Tennessee, like can Arizona like live up to some of the expectations and make that NFC West a lot more entertaining? And can Tennessee like not get COVID for like a minute? I I, I feel like that's the and can Julio Jones in his debut make Ryan Tannehill look like a really good quarterback? We'll see on that front. I'm intrigued. Then we also have I think Cleveland, Kansas City. I got into one of these like free survivor pools. I have Kansas City beating Cleveland. And I'm hoping to God I'm right on that end. I need to see this thing go down. I don't want to get eliminated week one. I don't want this to be a one-and-done type situation. Because I I wouldn't mind coming away with a dub in this survivor pool and Kansas City. Cleveland, and Cleveland's been bad in season openers. Like the last few years. Especially with Baker. 
And it's not any fault of their own. They usually play some really good teams week one. So I'm not blaming them, him entirely on that front. But we'll take a quick timeout now. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD Ross Jackson coming up in just a few. Right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. You're getting more Under the Dome with CD, and you're also getting more of our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. The man wears like a ton of hats. I'm sure he's got about 20 more he'll be putting on before the season's all said and done. And now we go over to the 1037 The Game Hotline. Talk with our guy, Ross. How you doing, brother? Hey, brother. Doing very well, man. Glad to be here with you. My favorite hat to wear is joining you every Saturday when I can on Saturday mornings, man. Always I, a pleasure to be here with you. Appreciate I, you. I appreciate that, man. Always appreciate you hopping on the show whenever you can. And obviously, this is the first game, and it's it's so weird to think about the fact that one – it's a season opener. It's in Jacksonville. But I think number two, it's so weird the fact that now it's without Drew Brees. And you saw him out there Thursday night looking like he has had his hair rejuvenated. Looking like, I don't, I don't know how he was able basically, to kind of. what happens you don't have to wear that helmet seven days. I guess. I guess. It's, it's so <laughs> weird. Like, I was like, why is he, why does he look this way? He looked like a whole different person with the, with the new hair that he has. He's rocking on the, football night in America stuff, but looking at this team, and it's so weird to think about the fact that Drew Brees won't be the quarterback for the first time in 15 years, yeah. and now you've got you know, Jameis Winston going to be getting the start week one. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible uh, sort of time right now, and you know, new era really of New Orleans Saints football. One, one of the things that I've been talking about a bunch this week, and you know, visiting and you know, talking with people in, in Wisconsin and in Green Bay media and everything is, you know, the question I get so often is, what is this New Orleans Saints offense going to look like, not only without Drew Brees, but with Jameis Winston? You almost could have been able to predict a little bit what the offense would have looked like with Taysom because we have an idea of what Sean Payton likes to do with Taysom. When it comes down to it with Jameis Winston, you could guess a million times over what this offense is going to look like and probably still be wrong. It is entirely unprecedented right now what this New Orleans Saints offense is going to look like, and I love being able to say this word now, tomorrow. I mean, we're almost here. We're almost there. We are here. And so, you know, to make that transition from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston, it's not only about what the offensive system looks like, what the team looks like, and what the offense can do. It's where do you get that leadership? Where do you, you know, who are the, the tone setters? Who are setting the examples for the rest of the team? And you've seen that across this entire roster. So there's obviously a lot more that goes into it, not, not, to, to, not to not acknowledge the mental side of the game that Drew Brees brought as well. But responsibilities are shifting. Things are changing. It's a very exciting time in the New Orleans Saints facility. Talk right now, Ross Jackson locked on Saints podcast. And, you know, also, the fact that we got Jameis Winston out there, he'll be starting week one. What do you think about, like, I've talked about it with you before, but like it just feels like there's a chance that you'll see 
obviously the conversation shift towards when is he going to get run in favor of Taysom Hill because it feels like that leash could be very, very short, especially if Jameis Winston falters in these first two games. Yeah, I, I do go back and forth on that about what is best, right? Should that leash be short or what we've seen historically is that teams that make changes at the quarterback spot throughout a season tend to not be successful. And so is it better to just stay loyal to the guy that you've named the starting quarterback and give him the opportunity to be able to turn it around? It is going to be interesting. I think a lot of people will assume that there's a possibility that Jameis Winston if he underperforms, could be replaced immediately. I tend to think that the organization would be a little bit more patient around it, but I don't know where that patience runs out, right? So it'll be really interesting to see that. The other part that's going to be interesting is where they still use, still opt to use Taysom Hill on third and short in the red zone. Are we still going to see Taysom Hill come in and take those snaps at quarterback just like we saw with Drew Brees? Or do we see a bit more of a, you know, uh, it's not really a two-quarterback system to do that, but do we see instead a bit more of a more traditional offense that only runs with a one-quarterback? And one of the other things that I was kind of surprised at is the fact that, er, like, just a couple days ago, Latavius Murray getting released by the Mm -hmm. Saints supposedly because he didn't want to take a pay cut. Then he goes to another team and takes a pay cut. It's very strange to me, everything that happened there. But what was your perspective on that? And is it now this Saints team just going to be all lightning, no thunder? I don't think so. I think in their mind, the thunder of the of, of the tandem comes from Tony Jones Jr. I think the reason that the New Orleans Saints went to Latavius Murray personally and asked for a pay cut from him is because they saw Tony Jones Jr. as their running back to above Latavius Murray. Otherwise, I don't. I don't believe that you ask him for for a pay cut at you know a salary of two point six million or so. It, it doesn't seem like that is too much to ask to pay for a number two running back. It is, however, too much to ask to pay for a number three running back, especially when your number two running back at Tony Jones Jr. is on an undrafted free agent rookie deal, right? So I, I think that that is what maybe led to that decision. But I think that the tandem, the, the, the boom and zoom, if you will, the lightning and thunder, the, the boom and the, the thunder come from Tony Jones Jr., who outright won that running back two spot over the course of the training camp and uh, preseason. And I think Tony Jones Jr. is absolutely going to be a threat in a lot of different ways. I mean, we bring up the fact he'll be more, probably use more up the gut, but he showed himself a lot in the preseason, especially with Jameis Winston under center or in the shotgun position, depending on what perspective you look at things. But he showed himself having an ability to be maybe like a lot like a Mark Ingram or somewhat the few weeks C.J. Spiller was on the team where you were able to see him work well in more of that wheel route kind of kind of role. I think that's something that was missing with this team over the last couple of years with Latavius Murray. So I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Jones Jr. is one of those like sleeper picks in like DFS. Yeah, for sure. I think that he'll be somebody that, depending upon the matchup, is in store for a few big weeks here throughout the season if he stays healthy. And you're absolutely right. He gives you multiple dimensions. You know, One of the things that you loved about Latavius Murray is that he was a fantastic pass blocker, fantastic pass blocker, and helping to keep the quarterback clean in the backfield. You see that same thing from Tony Jones Jr. Tony Jones Jr. was the person that opened up a couple of big plays for Jameis Winston in the first preseason game by being the person to set up the block that bought him the time to take the shot downfield. 
And so I think the, the addition of him being a good power runner, but also being a good zone runner, he's fantastic at reading his keys and reading his gaps and making the right choice in zone running. That's going to translate to the screen game, which I think one of you better this year. And then you add on to the fact that he's a very good pass protector and he can be a good pass catcher for you. It does make him a little bit more Mark Ingram-esque in his role as opposed to the role that Latavius Murray carved out for himself. Talk right now, Ross Jackson locked on Saints Canal Street Chronicles on 103.7 The Game. And, you know, obviously one of the other big storylines from this week has to be without a doubt. You pretty much fleecing the Houston Texans, even though that's kind of expected based off of their history. <laughs> Getting Bradley Roby for virtually next to nothing. And then they also signed Desmond Trufant. I think, obviously, Bradley Roby, you're going to have to wait a week to see him play in week two. But I think that's absolutely huge in terms of depth. I mean, we got Ken Crawley on the IR and Marshawn Lattimore. Obviously, we're waiting to see what's going to happen with the suspension, and we don't know. Like, I mean, apparently, he looks like he's ready to go for Week One, based off mm-hmm. of the Friday practice reports. But it, like, what's the status on this depth in the secondary? Because having Bradley Roby and Desmond Trufant would be huge. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, Ken Crawley going to injured reserve means we won't see him at least for the next three weeks with the, with the injured reserve rules from last year carrying over. So we'll see if, he, see if he's able to make it back in time for week four. But even if he does, the New Orleans Saints making that trade for Bradley Roby, where they sent a third from this year, their original third, not the compensatory third that they got for Terry Fontenot, who was hired as the GM in Atlanta. And then they sent a conditional six-round pick for next season. That's not a bad uh, uh, you know, level of compensation to send to Houston to get a starting cornerback opposite your star corner in Marshawn Lattimore, who we don't know where what's going to happen with this suspension at this point. What the suspension is tied to in terms of the legal process is extremely hard for any type of a prosecution to be able to prove. And so because of that, I don't expect much to come when it comes to that suspension or, or the, the, the question around the suspension. But when it comes down to what the Saints add in Bradley Roby, you also get Houston to eat $7.8 million, $7.6 million of uh, Bradley Roby's salary cap for you. So he sits on your books at just under $2 million for the season, which, mind you, is less than what Latavius Murray was getting paid. So another reason that he's potentially – uh, ended up being moved on from when they asked for that that uh, restructure. But I think that it's a great pickup for New Orleans that, to have him. He'll be the starter opposite Marshawn Lattimore starting next week against Carolina. And then Desmond Trufant gives you great veteran depth. I don't know if we see Desmond Trufant this week. It looks like Marshawn Lattimore is good to go to start. But who is it that's going to be lining up opposite him? My money right now is on Paulson Adebo, the young rookie out of Stanford that was drafted in the third round this season. Uh, you know, not the greatest assignment for a rookie to come in and have to go up against future Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers in his first start. But uh, Paul Sinadivo definitely getting an opportunity here and being called up to be that next guy. And you always mention, you, I think you've been gushing a lot this offseason, and oh, yeah. justifiably so. A lot of people I've been talking to across the Acadian area, they're like, Paul Sinadivo could very well be, I mean, he was in that third round, so it fits the, the mold of Alvin Kamara, mm-hmm. where it's like on the defensive side of the football, where it's like you get a guy third round. It's like, you know, it is what it is. If he pans out really well, it's great. It makes that draft class look really good. A lot like how you have David Onyemata late in the round right. where he was drafted. And you see him, he's popped off probably in the best defensive player the Saints have drafted in the Sean Payton era. 
I think everybody's expecting the same from Paulson Debo. I think you especially. Yeah, I have high hopes for Paul Sidibo. I think he can absolutely be that guy opposite them, opposite Marshall Lattimore for the long term or, you know, whatever that situation ends up actually turning into in the secondary. But I think he'll be a piece of the secondary for a long time, and he'll be a long-time NFL pro as long as he can stay healthy. The biggest thing is, is he ready now, week one, this soon, to be thrown into, you know, the starting role and thrown into the fire, if you will, because of necessity, as opposed to him winning the cornerback two spot, which looked like it belonged pretty outright to Ken Crawley up until his injuries set in. So that's going to be the big thing. I think that there's two different outlooks when you talk about Paulson and Debo. There's the outlook of him this weekend, but then there's the outlook of him that's long-term. I'm a lot more confident in the long-term outlook of him than I am about him this weekend. But hopefully he's able to go out there and really perform. He's a former wide receiver, big hands, ball hawk, eight interceptions over two seasons, over 20, nearly 30 passes broken up during that time as well. And, of course, he's coming in at six foot one, 190 pounds with speed. And he's going to be challenged quite a bit by Marquez Valdez-Scantling over on the outside who wants to run deep, and it's tough to run deep with MVS. But we'll see if Paul Sanadibo is going to be able to do it in his first action very likely. I don't think we'll see Desmond Trufant too much considering he was just added to the team on, what, Tuesday of this week. One more question for you, Ross, and I want to – I want you to be honest with me. What are you most looking mm-hmm. forward to out of Sunday? The Saints game or the fact that we, got, we get NFL red zone back? <laughs> Football. Um, I think for me – the thing that I'm most excited about is going to be Saints football. I am very excited, and I would be more excited if this game would not have had to be moved. Obviously, it was moved for extenuating circumstances, circumstances that we understand and hope to continue to support people that have been impacted by that circumstance. But it would be a lot better if this was, as it was intended, a home opener in the newly named Caesar Superdome. But regardless, it's Saints football. People will find solace in that, and it comes at a time that's very necessary for people to just have that thing that they can sit down, watch, and hopefully enjoy for studio for three hours uh, you know, in front of their televisions or at the bar or wherever it is that they are, and they're hanging out. And uh, so I'm very excited for Saints football to be back, not only for a personal sake, but for those who, who are in need of the escape right now. Exactly. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, dude. You as well, my friend. I'll see you soon. Stay safe. All right, that was Ross Jackson. Appreciate him coming on the program. As always, we're about to wrap the show. One final take, and then we can enjoy the, the weekend of football. I know Oregon just scored off a 99-yard drive. Ten plays. you got to love that. It's going to be fun Saturday afternoon, so keep it locked right here on 103.7 The Game. Under the Dome's final take next. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I've got one final take, and it's probably the spiciest I've ever had. Because, and I think everybody probably agrees with it too, but... There's one commercial out there that can go to hell on TV during college football season. It's the Applebee's commercial. I am already tired of it. Like, at first I'm like, okay, that's cool, whatever. And then Thursday night football comes around. I hear it again. 
like I usually, thankfully now for the most part, I usually if I'm watching something, I'll probably wind up watching it more DVR and outside of live sports and fast forward through the commercials. So I was able to avoid this plague, but now it's become an epidemic of football live commercials. And all of a sudden, here Applebee's on a date date night or whatever. I have to immediately like change the channel for like a minute, and like I don't ever want to hear that in my life again. It's the worst commercial right now. I understand it's all TikToky and stuff, but it's like, do we really need to have this commercial? I'm sorry, I don't need to be fancy like Applebee's on a date night. And if somebody's date night in terms of fancy is Applebee's. Standards aren't too high. At least that's just in my mind. Maybe, it, maybe that's a little too much shade towards Applebee's. But I think there's probably a few more places, especially in the Canadian area, that are a little bit fancier than Applebee's in terms of a date night. But, you know, different strokes for different folks. And th- that's my final take for the show. But I got a minute, so I'm going to go ahead and just say this real quick. Appreciate everybody for listening in and calling in as well. And thanks to Ross Jackson and... Emily Emily Van Buskirk for coming on the show, especially Emily, because she was great. And the fact that she was actually at the Ohio State-Oregon game, those are always tough as, as you get closer to like game time, if you're actually there physically. But appreciate them coming on. But I also want to say it's 20 years ago today. You know, Keep that in mind today. 20 years ago today, September 11, 2001. And I thought about that today. It's like it's been 20 years. And I, I, I know everybody out there who's listening right now knows where they were. On that fateful September day, I was in my seventh grade classroom, and literally all of a sudden, everybody got pulled in to the gymnasium or the auditorium, whatever you want to call it. And I sat there. I was like, "There's no way like this actually happened." And it's like it—it it seemed surreal. And you know, we didn't have TVs in our classroom at the time, so it's like we had to find this out live. And it's like you're shook. Then. I got home later that day around like 2, 2.50, 3 o'clock. First thing I'm seeing is CNN, Fox News. It's just a nonstop feed, and you're seeing over and over and over again the replays of it crashing into Twin Towers, and it became all too real. Like it was, like you never thought some of that would happen, and it did. And America got pulled together like they always do. By the bootstraps. But that's all I got for this week's show. I'll be thinking about those people, thoughts and prayers to the families who were affected and in some cases are still affected by 9-11 to this day. But I'll talk to you all next week from 10 a.m. to noon right here on 1037thegame, 1037thegame.com. Peace!